Streaming 24-7, on-demand archives, podcasts, and more. TalkZone.com. TalkZone.com. Saying a lot for planet Earth. And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Herring. This is David Spade along with my co-host, Elliot Harris, and you listen to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com. You just heard the lovely Jamie Edmondson talking about being up for Playboy, Playmate of the Year, talking about the amazing race, what she could talk about, her life as a cop. When I heard she was a cop in Miami, I was picturing, you ever seen the movie Bad Boys? Yeah. With Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence? I was thinking of her as like a cop down there, busting drug pushers, prostitution, all that stuff. I can't picture her being a traffic cop. Well... You gotta, I, I can picture her in a variety of ways. Let's you got to use your assets. If you look like that, can you imagine how many guys you could bust with prostitution down there in Miami with drugs, all that stuff? I mean, it's incredible. But, I mean, she has a full life on her hands. Oh, busy woman, smart woman. You know. I mean, yeah, she's, she's not the average powder puff. I mean, you deal with a lot of these beautiful women, and right. there's not much upstairs on some of them. Well, and, she, you know, she is physically fit and... She's no dummy by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think people who end up as playmates are dummies. I don't think Playboy can afford to have somebody go out there and, you know, be a dumb blonde or a dumb brunette or a dumb redhead or anything like that. No, they'll say something stupid, and all of a sudden then they got a big media fiasco right. on their hands there. Yeah, and we're familiar with media fiascos. Uh, Here in, in Chicago? Right. What do you think about that, Jay Cutler, with what happened over the weekend? With I mean, I saw that, and I heard the... Media saying that he's questionable he's to come back. He's on the sidelines there. I'm going, this is the biggest game of the year. What are you doing, Jake? Get in there. Well, either, I don't think he, we can say this, either crap or get off the pot. I think the Bears handled it poorly. If he wasn't going to, if he was unable to play, just say he's unable to play. Okay, he give it a series and he's out. Don't don't just show him on the sidelines like some guy. Oh, I stubbed my toe. You know, it, it's it's more severe than that. And then Monday, Lovey comes out and says, "Well, Jay has a, a, a sprained MCL." Well, that's a sprained MCL is a tear, and a tear sounds a heck of a lot worse than a sprain. Th- right? It's it's like they're trying to downplay the severity of it when they should be. Uh, making it sound like the end of the world. He, he was barely able to walk. The problem is, since that game, there has been Jay Cutler sightings of him walking up steps to nightclubs. There was a TMZ video of him out in Los Angeles at the Grove with Christian Cavallari walking around. People want to see him on, with, crutches. With, with, on crutches with his leg bent at such an obtuse angle you can't believe it. They want to see him in a wheelchair. They want to see him bleeding. They want to see him being dragged around by somebody. They don't want to see him leading a somewhat normal existence, uh, and he's done nothing to help himself. There's not much upstairs there. I mean, this guy, you think he had the problems in Denver. He forced a trade out of Denver. He comes to Chicago. He could own this town. Marketing-wise, there's very little Jay Cutler marketing because he's not making himself accessible. He, Like Jim McMahon back in the day, he might have been an ass, but he was on everything. Anywhere you looked, there was McMahon. He had restaurants, commercials, everything. Zucker did a great job with him, but Jay Cutler, what have you seen on the cover of a magazine or two? And that's about yeah, it. It's on the cover of Michigan Avenue magazine. He does uh, occasional charitable events. McMahon was the punky QB, and you could accept that. Cutler comes across with uh, the punk QB. Yeah, a, a, a certain arrogance that I don't know who that's supposed to appeal to. 
Maybe that's the way he is. Maybe that's the way he shields himself from other people. But somewhere along the line, somebody has to give him some PR advice and says, Jay, no matter how much you don't like doing it this way, it's in your best interest to do it this way. If he has a charitable foundation, people will flock to him if they at least don't dislike him. They don't have to love him, but his his demeanor is such that it's so off-putting that you're not going to find a whole lot of people that are going to like him. Even even the people that came to his defense this week would do so saying, I don't really like the guy, but in his, you know, if he's hurt, he's hurt. I don't think anybody's really questioning his heart. Well, a lot of people are questioning his heart. I but think I, a lot are. But I question the people who question his heart because I think there's no way that he wouldn't play unless he had such a, a severe injury that, that keeps him off the field. Because if he's only minimally injured then and doesn't play, can you imagine the ire his teammates will have for him? Let's get to a Hall of Famer, a guy who played injured, who played for, for the Dallas Cowboys from 1967 to 1979, a six-time Pro Bowler, an offensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, Ray Phil Wright. How you doing, Ray Phil? I'm doing great. How you doing this afternoon? Good. David Spada here with my co-host, Elliot Harris. We were just discussing Jay Cutler and the minor Terry Head and how he decided not to go back in the game. What do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's very interesting that he decided not to go back into the game. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's really interesting to really find out why a player make a decision. Maybe he felt as though uh, he couldn't perform as well as uh, uh, he could have if he, if he wasn't injured. Uh, we don't know the extent of the injury that he that he that occurred to with him, but uh, uh, you know, in a game such as that, you know, you would have to. Uh, I would have to be a person that couldn't walk to get back in that game because you know I've I've I played with uh, busted elbows, uh, cartilage torn in my knees, you know, fingers broken, and everything else, but. You know, it's all about a decision that uh, the player has to make within himself based on, you know, what he feels about whether, you know, he can go out and really truly perform to the level that he knows he's capable of performing. And it's also different being an offensive tackle from being a quarterback where you you have to to move around a little bit and you got uh, guys 6'5", 300 pounds chasing you down. And you're supposed to throw the ball in a certain place, and you can you can barely walk. Absolutely, but you know it makes a big difference. And he felt as though uh, he couldn't perform at the level that he's accustomed to performing, and that's I'm sure that that uh, had a lot to do with the decision that he had, that he made. But I'll tell you what, you play with two great quarterbacks, and Roger Staubach and Danny White, and I know those guys would have been in there playing hurt. <laughs> Absolutely, I. <laughs> It would have to take a truck to run over Roger to keep him out of that game, man, because uh, Roger's so, so, so competitive that he's always felt that no matter what our position would, would have been, that he could uh, he could gain the first down uh, by running the football or he could pass the ball to a Drew Pearson. Uh, uh, and Danny White felt the same way, would have felt the same way. So they both were great quarterbacks, and – you know, I was really, really honored to play, you know, for two great quarterbacks like Dan White and Roger Staubach. 
Yeah, I mean, you could have ripped off their right arms, and they would have stayed in there and tried to throw left-handed. <laughs> well, Roger would have, I know. <laughs> did you play with Dandy Don, or was he before you? Uh, I played with Don Meredith. I sure did. Matter of fact, uh, Don Meredith threw me a touchdown pass uh, uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles, and we had a quarterback situation uh, where we had all the quarterbacks uh, in Dallas at the stadium, and and I asked Don, I said, Don, you remember throwing me a touchdown pass against Philadelphia? And he said, he said, Ray Phil, you're so tall, you just got in the way. I wasn't throwing the ball to you. <laughs> What's an offensive tackle doing catching a touchdown pass anyway? Well, I was playing tight end. Uh, when I made the Dallas Cowboys as a tight end, and I played tight end my first two years, and I couldn't even make the high school football team, matter of fact. So uh, my third year with the Cowboys, uh, when Roger Staubach joined the club in 69, Coach Landry called me into his office and said, Rayfield, I'm going to move you to offensive tackle. And I thought he was crazy because I'd never played tackle before in my life. And uh, But he said that Roger moved around a lot, and, you know, you're pretty quick, and you move, uh, have a lot of agility, and, you're a good block, and he said, I think you'll make a great tackle. Now you're a writer. You have a new yes. book coming out? Yes, I have a book that's out, and it's titled Right Up Front, and it's a motivational, inspirational book because I work with a lot of kids all over the United States trying to encourage them and trying to get them to, to understand life and be an example uh, based on my life from the time I was born until I retired from the Dallas Cowboys. And all of the proceeds from the sale of my book uh, goes to my foundation, Rayfield Wright Foundation, and anyone can go to rayfieldwright.com and see the things that I do. And through the foundation, we have helped so far 16 kids to go to college. Uh, and we're looking forward to uh, helping some others go to college as well. I'm going to bring up a bad word, Pittsburgh Steelers, but you are very similar to Mel Blount because Mel Blount's doing the same thing, helping youth with his Mel Blount youth home. Yes. Yeah, Mel is Mel is doing a great job with uh, with his foundation, and I know Mel very well, and uh, I've uh, talked to Mel several times about his foundation. He's also spoken with me about mine. And, you know, any time professional athletes in the, in the spotlight Special guys that have played in the Super Bowl games and, and things like that. You become a star attraction, not just to other football fans, but to young kids because they kind of look up to you and, uh, hope, in hopes that they will have an opportunity to play professional ball. You know, it's, it's really interesting that all around the United States, uh, that I have had an opportunity to speak. And I'm a, I'm a national public speaker as well. And there's one question that young kids ask me all the time. And, you know, I think it's kind of amazing in a way because they, they said, Ray Phil, I know you played in Super Bowls and I know you're in the Hall of Fame and, you know, I know all these things about you. But I'd like to ask you a question. I said, go ahead. And, and that question is, how did you get there? In other words, what they are really asking, that they knew all the, the, the accomplishments of the game itself, but what did you go through? Where you came, What did you come from, and how did you come? 
you know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting question because a lot of these young kids are in the same situation that you were in as a young boy growing up because I never knew my dad and my mother and grandmother raised four kids. And, you know, so it's a very interesting question that you can take, you know, anywhere you would, you would like to go with it. And so I just try to encourage young young people, male and female, uh, from kindergarten all the way through to 12th grade. I would ask you, are the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders as hot as they look? Uh, I didn't hear the question. I would have asked you, are the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders as hot as they look on TV? <laughs> The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? Yes. Well, they look pretty nice on TV, you know, and they perform pretty well. The only thing that, uh, as a player, we didn't have the opportunities to really look at the cheerleaders because, you know, we was we was doing our job. You know, I remember uh, a sports writer asked me one day when Tony Dorsett ran that long uh, touchdown and said, Rayfield, did you see that run? I said, no, I didn't see it. He said, well, you were on the field. I said, I know I was, but if I had saw him doing that run, I wouldn't have been doing my job. <laughs> now, when the kids come up to you and ask you that question, how do you answer them? Do you just tell them there's no shortcuts to all that to get well, to where yeah. you are? Well, there's, there's certainly no shortcuts. And the thing is, is that you, you have to make a commitment and a dedicate and dedicate yourself and the most important thing, no matter how life uh, how life comes to you, uh, because life itself, you know, is a mystery. We don't know where we're going with our lives. But uh, the thing is, outside of commitment and dedication, the most important thing is you don't quit. No matter what obstacles will come your way, you never quit. If Once you set your goals and you try to... Do everything you possibly can to accomplish the goals in which you set, which are long-term goals and short-term goals. You never, ever quit. What about Dallas hosting the Super Bowl? Is it a big thing down there? Oh, it is awesome. Matter of fact, uh, I just left the <laughs> Super Bowl uh, office uh, up at in Dallas here, and that's why I was running a little bit late. But uh, it's so exciting because... Anytime a Super Bowl comes to the area in which you live, it does so much for the for the community, and so many people are getting involved. A lot of people here in Dallas had no no idea at all what it really meant to have a Super Bowl in the in in North Texas, in the state in which you live. But now everyone is beginning to kind of grasp exactly what the Super Bowl means and what it really means until the area in which you live. And I think that's very, very significant because, you know, I was blessed to have played in five Super Bowls, and, you know, it's uh, each and every one of those Super Bowls were extremely uh, important to me. You should have won more, but I'll tell you what, I loved the Cowboys back in the day, up until Jimmy Johnson took over and they fired my coach, Tom Landry. I love Landry, but I'll tell you what, the Steelers and Raiders cheated back then. They all used steroids. Look how many guys died. The Cowboys did it right. They played clean. Uh, well, you know, all of that uh, is a reflection on the coach, Tom Landry, because the thing that I really admired about Coach Landry 
is that, you know, he deserved the respect that he received, but he always kept his priorities in line. God was always first in his life, then his family, and then football. And it kind of passed down through the club, through the team. And out of the respect that we had for him, uh, you know, we wanted to perform and do our very best, not just for ourselves, but for our head coach who, who meant so much as a father figure to a lot of us to do the very best that we could do. Thank you very much for your time, Rayfield. We really enjoyed it. Again, we're going to tell people to pick up your book. We're going to promote it on our Facebook, Twitter pages. And you're a class guy. Keep working with the kids. And you know what's important with a lot of guys today don't. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the Super Bowl game. I think it's going to be a great game this year. Uh, the offensive line is going to be the key because of the two great defenses by each club. Who do you pick? <laughs> well, you know, I the have Cowboys. a little thing uh, about both of them because of the Ice Bowl game against Green Bay in 67, which I almost froze myself to death, and the fact that Pittsburgh beat us twice in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, you know, it's the kind of intimacy about both clubs, but the offensive line for each of the clubs is going to be the key to which team win this football game. You're taking the fifth. Thank you again, Rayfield. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have a good day. You're listening to Sports and Torts. I'm David Spada with Elliot Harris. We'll be back in a few seconds with Hall of Famer Dan Hampton. Stay tuned. If you're injured at work, don't try to be a hero and work in pain. Immediately tell your boss how you were injured and seek medical treatment. Then call my guy, attorney David Spada, to make sure that your rights are protected. David will fight for the payment of your medical bills, lost wages, and settlement. Insurance companies and employers have individuals representing their interests. Why not you? You must have an experienced attorney on your side. All fees are contingent upon your recovery. Call David Spada at 847-729-COMP. That's 847-729-2667. Important medical alerts to Avandia users. The diabetes drug Avandia has been linked to serious heart-related injury and even death. If you or a loved one used Avandia and suffered a heart attack, heart failure, stroke, or heart-related death, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Recent congressional reports and FDA studies have found an increased risk of heart attacks and heart failure in patients using the drug Avandia. Time is limited to file a claim. Don't wait. Submit your claim today. Call 1-800-943-9035. You may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call now for your free consultation. 1-800-943-9035. That's 1-800-943-9035. Find out your legal rights today. Time is limited to file a claim. Call 1-800-943-9035. The attorney responsible for this advertisement is Carrie L. Steigerwald, admitted in California, office address 3636 Noble Drive, Suite 350, San Diego, California, 92122. Cases may be referred to or independently handled by other law firms.